0: This is the Messy Progress Podcast, and I'm your host, Adrienne Smith. In today's episode, I'm talking with my incredible friend, a mom and professional runner, Alicia Vargo. I get the blessing of her in my life thanks to my husband having raced the little 500 in college with her current husband, Chris. So about Alicia. She's a Stanford Hall of Fame runner whose accolades include holding the NCAA record for the 10K, USA 20K champion fifth place finisher in the 10K at Olympic trials, and more recently set the record for the Grand Canyon rim to rim less than four months after her first child was born. Our daughters are less than a month apart. I cannot imagine having run that fast after having a kid. She is currently a coach and nutrition consultant for the Run Smart Project and has her own coaching business. She's birthed three babies in less than three years, experienced losses that I cannot imagine, And you would never know how much heartache she has when being in her presence and speaking with her. She is upbeat, kind, compassionate, humble, hospitable, and simply one of the most incredible women I've had the opportunity to call a friend. What I've learned about her from our encounters and conversations is that she strives for excellence and kindness because that's just who she is. Excellence in her running, in her friendships and relationships, as a mother, wife, daughter, a sister, and a coach. I hope you love our conversation as much as I did, and take away something that causes your heart to shift in the best of ways. It did for me. So thank you today, Alicia, for being on this um, this podcast with me. So the name of the podcast is called the Messy Progress Podcast, and where this got birthed from was I was realizing that so much of what everybody is seeing in life is like a highlight reel of our life, you know, like even visiting you, like we go to the Grand Canyon, but it's like, it took an hour and a half to get to the Grand Canyon. And there's two kids and nervous about like being on the edge of the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Like nobody sees that, but we see the picture of like us as a family at the edge. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have the conversations with people who really inspire me and you inspire me as a mom and an athlete and a wife and um, taking on a lot of hats and um, to have conversations about s- like what it really looks like to do life as, you know, an entrepreneur as a mom is um, and handling life. So thank you.
1: I like that. It's a great concept. I think we all have a perception of people we see on social media of like, it's just, it's perfect or it's always exciting or you're always out doing these adventures, but, but um, yeah, it's not always the case. It's a lot of messiness sometimes in between that. So.
0: Yeah. And I guess the place I wanted to start with you is I was doing a little, you know, just research about like your kind of running accolades. And um, one of the things that I had read was um, someone had said, and whether they said this or you were just quoted saying it was like running as an expression of who you are.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: would you say that that's true
1: I yeah I think that that's I guess I would say that's true but kind of backtracking a little bit is that running isn't who I am it's an expression of who I am right like so that's like I feel like it's um I don't know like wherever I am in life like it comes through in my running or like running is like I how I feel through my life through the ups and downs and so I guess that's kind of what I mean by it's an expression of who I am like it's it's not it doesn't define me but um it's like a a constant outpouring of of who I am and where I am and what I'm working through. And um, I'm so grateful to have that gift. Like, I feel like it's really special to have something that you are kind of able to feel through life with.
0: Yeah. So you've been able to put together not everybody's able to do this, but to put a passion that you have, Mm -hmm. something that you could, I mean, you've run several days of trail racing and Mm -hmm. you could run like in my mind, like forever, I've run with you a couple times, even like a couple, couple months after you've had a baby and I'm just like, oh my God, we're at 14,000 feet or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm not going to die. And you're just like, keep charging up the mountain. Um, but you've been able to take something that you're super passionate about and turn it into a career, which is not something that everybody can do because they might be passionate about something, but it's actually not like a, of a service to give to someone. How, like, when did you know that you were going to be able to do that, that running was going to be something that you made,
1: like, a livelihood out of? I think, um, you know, in, so I I was pretty, um, I was a pretty, like, zeroed in, focused teenager, um, like, abnormally. So um, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, like, took things that seriously, or took myself that seriously, or had that much discipline, but um, when I was a teenager, I knew that I, I knew what I needed to do to take the steps to get a scholarship, to be able to keep running, and to be able to, you know, continue to pursue my academic goals while running, so it, I would say, like, around, like, those teenage years, I started to think about, like, hey, I love running, like, I really, really love running, and I can actually use it to get me to where I want to go. I don't think I knew that I was going to necessarily like run professionally for, you know, years on years, but um, I knew it was like kind of a means to an end and that I loved it. And so like when you love something, you tend to do it with more excellence and and more focus. And so I feel like, you know, once I got to college and I was surrounded by, um, I was just really, really fortunate to be in like an incredibly positive um, academic and athletic community in college. And I think the thing that I am most grateful for is that everybody was striving for excellence, like with their running, with their academics, with, you know, whatever they put their hands to, it was like the standard. And so, um, you know, kind of within that atmosphere, I saw a lot of women going on to run professionally after college so that's kind of where the seed got planted I think is where I saw it and that wasn't really the case even like 10 years prior to that it was kind of like a new transition in the sport where women were running professionally and they were you know signing contracts that could you know be considered like a career and a livelihood. So, um, I think seeing that and knowing how much I loved it, like I just naturally was curious to see how much further I could, I could take it like through college and beyond college.
0: And so was it just like a, it was a passion that you had, you're like, I love it. I'm just going to see where this can go versus like, I have this end game goal of, you know, getting to this point in a career. It was Mm -hmm. more of like, I'm just going to take the next step.
1: Yeah, it was more that, like, I wanted to see, like, what my capacity was. Like, what's my ceiling? Like, how – what what's the most I can get out of myself? Not, like, I want to accomplish, like, this goal and then I'll be, you know, satisfied. It was, like, just kind of, like, what what's inside of me? Like, how can I get the most out of myself and what does that look like? Like, that curiosity kind of drove, like, the process and the steps. Along yeah, I love it. You,
0: what you just said, too, like, a lot of things was – you like you saw that running you were super disciplined about it like you saw that about yourself and even looking Mm -hmm. back you're like wow I I can't I'm actually surprised at how disciplined where some people might like running and they're not disciplined it's so that's like the goal that they might have it's I mean you coach athletes you probably see this all the time where it's like well yeah you want to do that but like you actually have to maybe give this thing up and it's mm-hmm. like, for you, that came naturally. It was just like, I love this so much. I'm just going to keep moving forward. And there's probably a lot of things that didn't get your attention as a result, like a normal teenager would give. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. And no, what, you, what you said about uh, like the running for a goal of your own, like, I want to see what I could pull out of myself versus I want to get on the podium at this race because you don't know like who's going to show up at a race or how everybody else is going to do but it's more of like I'm going to put the work in and then we'll just see what happens
1: yep yeah exactly I I was actually like really I I didn't um and I don't know where this came from but I just that internal drive I was explaining of like to see like what my own capacity was like I thrived off of that but then the attention that can come with that like that I didn't I didn't like that like I didn't even like if I was say I'd go and win a race and then the next step is like oh you have to go get an award or there's like some sort of you know awareness of what you did that like I hated that I would dread it I would like hide from award ceremonies and um yeah so I I don't know I don't know like what that I feel like a lot of people it's like a natural human curiosity of like to explore limits right like um but then definitely in like our world now you can get so caught up in like the attention that comes along with it so I'm just thankful that like for whatever reason my mind as a young athlete was kind of not kinked in that way like I think it kept me in love with the sport and in love with the process and not like so connected to like the highs and lows, and that kind of come along with like trying to do anything well. Like you know, you crash and burn sometimes, and um, it can be kind of devastating. But um, I didn't, I didn't really care what was perceived of what I was doing, if that makes sense. So yeah, it I was just like scary. you were in it
0: for the l- pure love of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm not. I'm I'm not going through that like high school and college process in this day and time because like there was no like you in order to see like what results were you had to like wait for the magazine to come that had like results from like big races and big meets and now it's like it's so everything's like so out there and kind of scrutinized and it's not just like how fast you run or how well you do something it's like also like how you present yourself on social media. And I just feel like that would have been, I don't know. I'm just glad that I didn't have like that kind of mixed in with those early formative years.
0: Yeah. And I had read something about how you had gotten called from, um, it was right before your wedding with Chris that you got called that you're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame at Stanford. And you were like, wait, you thought that they called the wrong person. (laughs)
1: Yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. was it
0: like was it that they you really thought that or that you you what well, tell me about that
1: no yeah I mean I just I guess I don't um Stanford athletics is um like from across the board from like every sport is very successful so um within each sport there's so many people that have done just incredible things that you know like we're talking like Tiger Woods level you know coming out of Stanford so um yeah it seemed like maybe that was a a mistake on their part (laughs) they actually meant for like another track and field athlete or something like that but um yeah I don't know
0: (laughs) well I I bring this up because I was at an event with one of my friends um, who I actually interviewed for the podcast and she's got a, um, a group of women or not a group of women. She has a company where she has women gather and we talk about a topic. And one of the topics a couple months ago was imposter syndrome. And so when I read that, I was just like, you know, reading through your results and I don't, you know, and I don't have any gauge of comparison of like what everyone else is doing at that level. I only know just like, you know, for me as a, say an Ironman triathlete, like I know what, times are good and I know you know like a 15 25 5k is like incredible but I'm like well why wouldn't you think that you (laughs) were supposed to be there
1: yeah I mean well like kind of going back to what I described like when the the atmosphere our you know college atmosphere was that of excellence so like when I when I was being recruited by Stanford and they they usually like send a coach out to do a home visit and then you go out to the school to to visit the school and be with the team when the coach came out to do my home visit we were like literally watching the olympics and there were stanford athletes stanford track and field athletes like in the finals at the olympics like that's i mean that was like the level of like the the college team so um everyone was incredible, you know, and even if, like, we had, you know, we had so many people that walked on that weren't super fast runners, and then you find out, like, oh, you know, they're whatever, they got their master's and PhD in five years, and, like, fast-tracked, you know, like, they're just people who are crazy, it was just a, it was an atmosphere of, like, kind of, I was always in awe of the people I was surrounded by, so, I don't know
0: yeah <laughs> I like a lot of people say, say that
1: before
0: you know separate from like the you know kind of talk of imposter syndrome like we can always feel like we don't belong like I need to know more learn more or someone else has another accreditation that I don't have you know yeah. more people more followers more you know kind of what you were saying is like growing up in the world of Instagram and social media and like having things be so instant like we can't see mm-hmm. that um, but like that idea of train with people that are incredible like be around people that are incredible and like that's who you end up being as an athlete as a mom as a business person
1: yeah i i think the 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 mentality i had when i was going into college was like i don't want to go somewhere where i'm the best like i want to be surrounded by the best because i i want to I want to press myself up to that level. Like I want that to be the standard that I'm reaching for, not like to be a, above everyone. And I, I don't know. I, it just never appealed to me. And I think I think that's a good, you know, just even like for the friendships you have in your life, um, or you know who you surround yourself with, and within your career, or you know, surround yourself by excellence to an extent. Like it's. Um, don't, don't just try to put yourself in a position where like you're making sure that you shine, like put yourself around other people that are shining too. I think that's really powerful. And I think, especially for women, you know, women in like their various like work fields, I think it's easy to kind of, women can kind of be like a little, I don't know, they like to like tear each other down and cut each other down. I like, I don't know. I just, I, I, Um, like I said, like when I was in college, like I, I was around women that still to this day, they're amazing. They're fabulous, amazing women. And, um, there's such a power in having a community and having that, that, that team atmosphere that you can create for yourself, like in your own communities, in your own environments. And I don't know, I, I, I think that that's like a really powerful tool.
0: Yeah. How does someone do that? How does someone, I mean, you've been in Flagstaff for how many years now?
1: 13 years, yeah, 13 years. Mm-hmm.
0: and so uh, I imagine like you're you could call up anyone on a whim and be like, find someone that could run with you.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And obviously, right now we're in a pandemic, so it's like, let's just pretend <laughs> like it's normal circumstances and we're like <laughs> allowed to do that. Um, but like, let's say someone, and I hear that a lot in this town is like, someone's new to the area, like whether it's Flagstaff or California, you know, anywhere. Um. It was like, how do they surround themselves? How do, what's the best way to find the group of people that's gonna be of excellence?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I my husband and I have actually talked about this a lot in recent months because we've considered, you know, trying to figure out like, do we want to stay in Flagstaff? Do we want to move somewhere else? Like we just kind of threw some things that have happened in our life we have realized the value of like having a really strong support system and um community so that you know life goes up and down and sometimes it crashes down really hard and just the importance of having those people in your life that like hold you up and support you when you need it um i don't know we just kind of have like a new found appreciation for the strength that you can find in that and so we've talked about this question like how do you how do you do that how do you form that like and i think you just have to be intentional i think you have to be intentional of knowing um you know the types of people that are going to build you up and you're going to be able to give that back to them and not the people that are going to you know drain you and cut you down and you know behind your back be You know, looking for your faults, or you know, whatever those we all kind of know what those negative things are that um, we found in like various friendships or relationships. And I I think that that's the key is like you have to be intentional in seeking that, not only seeking those types of people and those friendships out, but like then fostering those friendships. It's worth it, it's very valuable. Like going through life on your own um, feels very empty. Um, and even in your worst moments, um, if you're surrounded by people that love you and care about you and build you up, um, it's, um, yeah, it's a strength that you can't have on your own. At least that's how we feel.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you, do you find that in your local community or do you have that through, like, you know, we can be connected to anybody now, like you're
1: Mm
0: -hmm. eight hours away by be a car right now. And we could be on Zoom, or um, is it is it your local community, or is it more just like having that in your life with people everywhere?
1: I think having it in your life, but I also think um, you know there is um, there is something unique about having that like right where you live too, because um, that physical. I mean, if COVID's showed us anything, it's that like we need that like physical contact you know that face-to-face communication with people sometimes like yeah we can get by without it like we've shown that the last several months but um just being able to like go out on a run with a friend and like to be like ah like I'm struggling or like I really you know like just there's something powerful about that tangible like physical face-to-face contact um but you know I I would say like beyond our community we do have like incredible network of support I mean even you know my husband Chris he he comes from um you know a team of cyclists that they like I don't even know how far back it goes like 20 years like something like I mean they're like this huge family that I don't even I kind of can comprehend it but um I don't I just can see from the outside like you know how valuable it is to the guys that were on the team their lives like even now how many years removed are they 15 20 years from being on a team together and they're still like you know when we've had difficult things happen in our family life like those guys are the first ones to reach out to Chris and support him um, and so yeah I, I think it's a, I think it's a mixture you know it's like yeah it's kind of a little of both is probably pretty helpful at least just uh, for us
0: I'm noticing for myself that it's like they're it's I don't know if it's a if it's a girl thing like you brought up kind of like sometimes girls can like cut each other down and all that kind of stuff but um, it's I'm noticing for my husband because both of our husbands are in that group together where they're like yeah. texting each other pictures of themselves Oh, they're taking dumps. All the
1: time.
0: Yeah, like all it's like stop, um and um like it's but it's also so fascinating because it's like it's in that little kind of. Um, it doesn't seem like important. Those are not those aren't important conversations. But it's just that they can do that like so casually, yeah. and then like show up on your doorstep when you needed support. Like I know that that's you know something that happened and. And so it's like, I'm noticing as I get older that I don't have as many, like there's not as many, it's not as plentiful of people that I can have those like deep, dark water conversations with. And yet, like, I don't know what I'm, I'm thinking that it's like, um, is it like a girl thing that it's like, I, I don't know that I can trust is many people with the things and maybe guys don't even talk about it until it's like, like the, the deep stuff, unless it's so bad. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I think it's, I don't know. I think it's like somewhat just circumstantial environmental, like where you are and like what the norm is, you know, like, like I was describing about, you know, the college atmosphere I've had, I was in, I've heard so many women that were on, teens like in college and it's it's horrible like the things that they talk about you know that they, it was like a traumatizing experience in their life and I'm like I just can't even relate to you because I literally have nothing negative to say about my experience and the women that I was surrounded by it was so powerful you know but somebody created that environment somebody set that standard that you know like we don't we don't cut each other down. Like we don't talk about one another's bodies in a negative way. Like we don't, you know, we, you know, we don't rejoice when somebody else is failing. Like all these things that like, that's just, I walked into that, like maybe, maybe I can claim that like, I helped maintain it, but somebody set that standard. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. And was that a clear standard? Like, did you walk in and like, you know, I'm running a business and it's always like these conversations around, like, make sure it's clear what your mission, mission is, vision, values. And it's like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or is it, is it that you were like given like a document or like a whole conversation about what those were, or you just walked in and that's who everyone was being?
1: Yeah, I mean, I stepped into it. I intentionally stepped into it because I did have a chance to to go there and experience like what the atmosphere was like and before I made my decision. So I knew I knew that was what I was walking into and I had gone other places where I'd like seen, like you can kind of start to pick up on that stuff pretty quickly, you know, like. Um, so I knew what I was walking into, but no, it wasn't like a, a written like, this is, these are the ethics that we go by. It was just like, this this is what we do and this is how we do it. And if you don't wanna, you know, if this isn't for you, then get on out of here because like we we just, we have a standard of excellence that so, like we wanna upkeep here. And so um, I'm really grateful to whoever preceded me that like set that into motion, but it was a really kind of powerful example that I've always carried with me in my life like well like how how can I create that in my life where I am like whatever you know whether that's like your family atmosphere or um the atmosphere you're creating for your your children or your friends or you know whatever projects you have going in your local area like it is possible but like I said before like I think it's there has to be an intentionality with it and I don't own a business where I have people employed underneath me, but I could see how it would be really hard to create that. um, And that you would have to be like, you know, pretty specific about the people that you kind of let under your umbrella. It would, it would be hard, but I feel like it's doable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How do you do it as a coach? Like, so you coach athletes, endurance athletes Mm and have you ever had a, I I have two questions is like, Is there like a conversation at the beginning of someone wanting to hire you that there's like, Mm -hmm. this is the expectation of, this is what I'm going to give you as a coach. And this Mm -hmm. is what I expect of you as an athlete. Does that conversation happen?
1: Yes, absolutely. And it happens because I've had so many situations where I'm like, ah, yeah, this didn't, this is not going well. And I kind of knew it wasn't going to go well from the beginning Um, you know, and I just didn't have like the confidence to set that tone. Um, mostly because I think people are coming to me and they're paying me for a service. So I felt indebted to be like, well, you know, you just say yes. And then you just kind of put up with like whatever nonsense is going on. But, um, man, it's, it's kind of toxic and draining. And I would find myself like complaining to Chris about like the same situations over and over and over. And he's like, well, why are you even like working with this person? Like, you don't have to. Um, so I'm a little more careful about who I surround myself by now because it, it's um, yeah. I mean, even a coach athlete relationship should be a positive partnership, right? So like one end of the deal is feeling frustrated and drained by this negativity all the time, like probably doesn't make sense time. Yeah.
0: So how do you set that up now? How do you set it up in the beginning now differently than what you did when you were um, less Um, confident to use your words?
1: Yeah. I'm a little, uh, I'm better about having like just direct conversations about like what expectations are. And usually like for me and for what I do with coaching, like that first conversation about expectations usually like shows me pretty clearly like people that have real unrealistic or ridiculous expectations are too demanding from the get-go are only going to get worse over time. (laughs) So that's usually like, that's, that's all I need to know. You know, it's going to be a good fit or not. Um, So, yeah.
0: Have you ever had to like right at the beginning tell someone that it's not a good fit?
1: Yeah. Mm, what does that kind of
0: conversation sound like?
1: Um, you know, that coaching, um, is coaching is a relationship. And, um, if, you know, if it's, if it's not a good fit, it's just never like if, if two, if the coach and the athlete, if they're not fitting well together, then the performance is never going to happen. Right. So like, I don't think we're a good fit for one another so I feel like I'm not going to be able to help you to your goals right like it's um it, it would be a negative on you um so yeah and and honestly like most of those conversations have come from with men that have like really unrealistic expectations of what I can do for them as a coach you know like uh so it's I don't know. It's been, it's taken me like several years to get to the point where I can just like be straightforward like that. Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's like the craziest thing that you've had someone ask you, like they want to get from point A to point B in a certain period of time. And you're like, yeah, that's like not going to happen. What's like, do you have an example?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh oh gosh I could write a book. But um yeah so like having somebody say that they want to make the Olympic trials and then they and so like the Olympic trials trials standard times are like laid out years in advance. So like if you want to run the 5K, you know exactly the time you have to run to qualify. So I've had people come to me that they're like I want to qualify for the Olympic trials and then like they won't even like do their training or they're, you know, they're starting from like a 24 minute 5k and they need to be able to run like a 1530 5k. It's just like, it's so detached. Like um, thankfully there's not a ton of that, but then I would say like the craziest situations are just the ones that are like, hey, like um, I'm, you know, I'm hiring you as my coach. And then eventually it's like, hey, could you come out to this place to like watch my race and you know that just uh like crosses the line of uh like I'll fly you out to come watch my race um and I'm like whoa okay like <laughs> uh, I don't I'm like worried, oh. <laughs> like I'm not gonna fly across the country to go like stay with a male athlete like things like that that are just like really it yeah it's uh, <laughs>
0: shocking
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but I guess it just kind of brings up the point of like, as a coach, like you want a friendship and a relationship with your athletes, but I guess the, where a lot of the problems have come is like when that line gets blurred, right? Like when it's, um, becomes like too personal or too demanding, um, or I'm, you know, I'm coming to Flagstaff to stay for a week. Like, can you take me on runs every day? And I don't know. It, <clears throat> as a female coach, you definitely have to, like, be careful with, like, um, just drawing boundaries, I guess I would say. Especially with, yeah. like, I've had a lot of issues with, like, foreign male athletes that just have, like, totally different expectations. Maybe coaches are play a different role in different areas, but yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting because there's – you know, I've been in the world of um, athletics where we mm-hmm. went and we, and you have too, like you do training camps and you right. go with a team and you're running or you're, in our case, it was swimming, biking, running for like a week as a group. And you pay specifically for that. You pay for that service, you pay for the lodging, you pay for the coaching, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And And then there's also teams, professional teams that, which you've been on where you go to a place for a period of time with the team to do those things. But it's, um, it's interesting that someone, and I'm sure people have even the money to pay for it too, where it's like, Hey, I'll pay for you hourly to come do this. Yeah. Has there ever been um, and something that's been offered where it sounded so exciting, like, Oh my gosh, that, Would be an amazing thing but then you had to kind of check yourself like that's not that's not what i'd be doing
1: yeah 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 definitely like um yeah i've had some pretty awkward situations like that for sure where it's like you know you kind of usually like that first like gut instinct that you have of like like this seems like it could kind of be like a just doesn't feel right or like the expectation on the other end isn't right or like that's a lot of money but like it, are, is somebody like throwing that much money like with an expectation it's like just not going to be not going to be good for me or like for my business or the relationship yeah so yeah I've had some pretty awkward situations especially like for I, I coach for myself and I coach for another company where Um, there's, I I coach underneath the guy who, who owns the company and, um, he was offered a lot of money, um, to make me a part owner in the company. Someone wanted to give money to make me a part owner in the company that I coached. So he's like, Hey, I'm going to give you all this money, but you need to make this gal like part owner of the company. Well, that's kind of weird. Why would you do that? Right? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, you know, you, I don't know. So it's uh, not like you were asking
0: for that. It doesn't sound like, huh? It's not like you were asking, I want to be part of this money. It was a gift. It
1: was
0: a gift, you know, like, well, that doesn't make sense. So uh, it reminds me of those. I've had this happen um, at having a business where I'll get contacted by someone that's like, I want to bring my family to Santa Barbara and we'll pay you to, um, give private training lessons to my family, like three times a week for three weeks yeah. and we'll give you this much money. And I'm sort of like, Hmm, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask, you know, uh, and then I'll ask for payment. And then they're like, Oh, well, I'll send you a check. Yeah. I am now. Bye. Yeah. And then it's interesting. Cause it's, I know I've had that happen like the first time that that's, you know, this is different because it's just like a one of those money schemes. But um, yeah. I remember the first time it happened, I was so like new to people scheming, just being in like, I don't know, the yoga world that I thought like, oh, everybody's good and whole and no one has bad motives. And,
1: and yeah oh, that's
0: so untrue. It's like, <laughs> it's almost like more, um, I don't know, more demons and stuff can get worked out in a yoga like kind of bringing people to yoga which I would imagine you've seen in endurance sports where it's like trading one addiction for another addiction
1: yeah definitely yeah absolutely yeah it's and and Chris Chris is coached he's not coaching anymore but like i between the two of us, like, yeah, we've had some pretty interesting and overwhelming amount of great situations and and positive relationships and outcomes, and then there's always kind of those few things that, like, you tend to dwell on that they're, like, really negative or took you aback or, like, oh, I can't believe somebody tried to do that to me or this or that, but it's, like, thankfully, it's, like, the minority situation. Few and far between. Yeah, totally.
0: What's been, you know, this year has been crazy for everybody and it's been, mm-hmm. um, quite different from, for all endurance athletes, because there hasn't been the racing scene that we're used to. And what have you seen for your athletes that has been the biggest struggle?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, um, so in, within um, the group of athletes that I coach, I'd say I have like 50% that are kind of more the trail ultra runners, and then the other 50% that are road racers, do road marathons. Um, so they're two kind of very different spectrums of the sport. I found that people that I coach that um, are trail runners or ultra runners, they've had a really easy time redirecting like those coaching relationships have been really um pretty seamless because they're just like oh okay well I can't race but I've always wanted to run rim to rim to rim so like I'm just going to train for that or like they just really love the process of being in the mountains and, and moving and um a race is like a fun goal but it's just kind of it doesn't like necessarily define um their process within the sport whereas like the road racers and marathoners have as a whole had a lot more difficult time kind of navigating this because it's like well if there's no Boston marathon then like what do you do like it's just um it's so time and goal oriented um so I would say those kind of that spectrum of the sport has really had a a difficult time kind of figuring out how to bridge the gap between, you know, the last race they did and whenever, whoever knows when that's going to happen again. And, um, you know, just like people like endurance athletes like to train, right. They don't like to rest. They like to train. And so um, I've had a really hard time, since people don't have those like big goals coming up, like you, you hit a big goal and then you take a rest period and you recharge the batteries and train for the next thing. And I feel like a lot of runners I have, they're just kind of gotten gradually very stale because they don't want to break because they didn't hit that big race. And so um, that's like one of the biggest issues I've had is just convincing people like, I know you didn't, run Boston but like you you have to have a rest built into your training cycle like you can't just train you know month on month on month without um any sort of like variation or like reset for your body and your mind so it's been kind of tricky to figure out how to get um that side of the sport like those road runners just to kind of get from get to get through this whole COVID situation so I, I feel like I've developed some good strategies along the way and um kind of navigated that well but yeah it's just been really different um as opposed to like I said the mountain runners are just like oh great I've always wanted to like you know I'll just see how fast I can run up Pikes Peak or something like that you know like some like really cool fun goal that like keeps them going mm-hmm. um
0: now so, yeah, what are the strategies that you've had that's worked with your um, road runners? That's like gets them redirected, like back on track to kind of kind of circle back all the way to the beginning of this conversation, where it's like you were you've always run because you've loved it, different yeah. from like running for some goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the I think one of the best things that's helped um, those athletes is just starting like a training block where we're working on a weakness, like. Are working on something that you don't like normally. So like, say take a marathon or like, cause most most recreational, you know, middle age runners, they 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 like to run marathons and they like to run big city marathons. So they're just always doing marathon, 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 marathon. And when you have that same training and same race stimulus, I feel like, you know, it's easy for your body. It doesn't, It you, you don't necessarily make like good steps forward. So. This has been like a perfect time to step back and be like you know what like let's work on like speed work let's do a speed work training block and let's see how fast you know we can get you to run a 5k time trial so like setting up a series of like 5k time trials and looking for like marked improvement because that kind of shift in training i feel like helps you make better adaptations when you go back to like what's actually your bread and butter like You know, and I don't, I can't speak to like other sports and training methodologies, but for running, like you just can't do the same thing month after month, year after year. Like your body doesn't make adaptations. You need to create a new stimulus to make bigger steps forward. So it's been fun to like, once I can convince people, like, hey, no, this will actually help you. Like, let's work on getting faster so that then you can work on running 26.2 miles.
0: Yeah. And like, I can only imagine how, hard it is I shouldn't say hard but just how challenging the convincing part is it's just like okay so I've got this great plan
1: yeah
0: there is no race like let's just be clear we can keep holding out for this thing and it's like let's let's just do this thing and like I hear my my husband go through the same conversations with people of We're going to try this for a little period of time, and there's times I got to be honest. I'm on the, I'm listening at home to him having a (laughs) conversation with someone. I was just like, you are giving them way too much time. You've been trying to convince them that this is a good idea for 90 minutes.
1: Yeah. Like, and I
0: hear like all of the research and the like. He's he knows his stuff and he's sharing it with them with such passion. And I'm just like, I think the only thing that will make this person happy is if that race happens. And I feel like the biggest thing that anyone can give themselves as a gift is to let go of the attachment of, yes. yeah, that, that race that you've always wanted to do like Boston postponed till, you know, next fall. It's like, well, how do you, do you still have people that are holding on to that pipe dream that they won't even like get off of the track of training for that? If, cause they're just holding out for it happening.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But I think, um, you know, those, like, 90-minute conversations you're alluding to that your husband has, like, I think that especially for, like, endurance athletes that have, like, you know, they, one of their strengths so that they can get, like, so attached to, you know, the the training and the process and the end goal and doing every detail that, like, I feel like if you can take that same, like, mentality and tendencies and, like, figure out how to redirect it, like, no like, this is the better path now. Like that same person that's like so stubbornly set on going in that direction. Like if you can get them stubbornly set on going in a different direction that you think is better, like then it actually can be, um, it can be really good, but it's just it sounds kind of, like parenting. Yeah, for sure. It's like a toddler, like a stubborn toddler. Like you just gotta, you just gotta convince them like, no, you actually like need to eat your like, you know, whatever your pasta and your vegetables, cause it's going to make you stronger. Like, um, so yeah, I, I feel like I can understand that realm of people. Cause I, you know, there's a bit of me that's that way too. Like I get the mentality. So, um, it's actually like a fun challenge for me to kind of figure out like, okay, like we're steering the ship another way. Like, you know, here's that 90 minute conversation, but at the end of it, like I've, I've sold it to you and, um. Yeah, I
0: think I love that right. though because you can. I mean, this whole thing—it's just we've had the conversation. Use the word pivot, but it's like okay, you're pivoting a new direction. You're redirecting attention somewhere else because we all have. I mean, I uh, I shouldn't say we all, but there's there's a there's a high level of anxiety and uncertainty for all of us currently and. This, the people that I tend to surround myself with is people that are achievers. It's just like who yeah. I'm around. I mean, living in Santa Barbara, you, like, you have to work hard to live here to be able to afford it. And so yeah. the attention can just get so fixated on like, the certain things. And then it's just like, well, why not? If you run a lot and like you continuously get injured, get on your bike. Yeah. buy a bike or like start roller skating. I mean, that's like super hot right now. <laughs> and
1: yeah, no, really, it's, it's like, use like
0: that, that. M- use that motivation and that fuel for something that it's an opportunity right now to try some different things. Like you were saying is like work on the speed work part because you never would do that before. Cause you're so worried that it's going to have a negative impact on your marathon training. Right. If you're a triathlete work on, you know, it's kind of hard to swim right now because most of the pools are closed, but it's like, work on some of that speed work too, or, um, just like social writing instead of being so set on, uh, and I say social writing as in like one person or just getting out Mm -hmm. and having it be something that's enjoyable again, versus something that's like so fixated. It's a there's an opportunity to redirect everything. Like we're having to redirect business constantly. And I'm not gonna lie, like I was so set in the mud on some things that I'm just like, I am not doing this if we have to do it this way. And then all of a sudden it was like, this is the way we have to do it. And I'm like, shit, this is not what I wanna do. And um, and I've heard that with a lot of people where it's like, I, I don't I don't wanna keep operating this way. This isn't why I started. Like even people running. Like I didn't start running to go run in the trails. I want to run on the road, and I want to train for marathons. I want to. I want to have a yoga studio. I want to have people gathering. Right. And it's just it's interesting how um, it is a mindset shift. Yeah. Being around the people that are also supporting that mindset shift versus being in the muck of, I don't know, talking about things getting back to normal. And it's just like, well, how about we just be here.
1: Yeah, because it might not, normal might be different than what was normal, too. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to adapt. It's been hard to adapt, and, and, I mean, parents probably could, you know, there's going to be, I feel like we're going to look back, and, like, in our history books, and there's going to be, like, a whole chapter on, like, the effect of, like, family life, and, like, parents and and working like during this time like it's just creating like a whole different I don't know like way of going about like our, our family structure and you know mom's not having moms and dad's not having babysitters and not having school and like the stress you know it's just like it's crazy so I feel like in any realm of life right now like the more adaptable you can be the better like even if it's not your natural tendency it's just like you have like you you have to be like I'm sure every community can look at like just their restaurants like just the food businesses in their community and you can see the restaurants that have adapted so well and they're you know they're like okay like we're fine dining but now we have to do takeout so like this is how we're going to do it and like and then the restaurants that are just like we can't like we're a restaurant people come in to dine in here and they can't now so like we have to close like I don't know we've seen like such a spectrum in our community I'm sure you can see the same in yours so yeah and I just look at it as like I I've
0: definitely had moments where I've been paralyzed yeah and it's almost like a grieving of the old way like it's not happening anymore yeah and that has a whole process as you're familiar with of um like it's, it's not linear. It's like one moment, you know, just like what I was sharing at the beginning. It's like, all of a sudden it's just like super high emotions and then fine again. And um, I, I think the ability to just like continually modify, to adapt, to overcome and like be in that game of redirecting too, of like, just don't let yourself be paralyzed.
1: Yeah. I agree.
0: And maybe one day, like one day of sleeping underneath the covers. And I mean, you can't do that <laughs> when you have a child, but it's like one day of binging on Netflix and one day of just like completely shutting down, different from, I'm not running anymore. I'm not doing anything anymore. And it's like kind of finding that deeper calling again of like, well, what did you love? What did you love about the thing that you started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree.
0: I'm going to go into um, this end of this podcast. What I always like to do is just a speed round questions. Um, no filter speed round is how I call it. So whatever comes to mind first, you answer with.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Good. Best advice that you can remember getting from your dad.
1: Oh, from my dad. Um, you know, it's it's simple, but I I think it's something I'll always carry with me is just uh he just kindness like just to always be um really extravagant with your kindness towards other people. That's how my dad was. He was he would go into a gas station and like we'd be sitting there thirty minutes later waiting for my dad because he found you know some woman who ran out of gas and this problem and that and like he just um that was like you know the the thing that people really remember about him is how um how much he genuinely cared for other people and and that kindness that he showed to them and it's a simple thing but i think it's like it's hard to do like especially when you're kind of mixed up in your own stuff and your own stress like it's hard to really like look outwards and be like you know what like (laughs) um, that, you know, yeah. And especially like within family relationships or whatever it is, like we don't default to kindness always, but my dad did. And so I hope that I can pass that on to my daughter as well, that she'll, and my son, that they'll, um, see that in Chris and I. So, What's that
0: quote? If you're going to be anything, be
1: kind. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, my dad, he was like a simple, simple guy like but he um, he really like I have college teammates that um, my dad was cared more about them than their own parents did you know and to this day they're like oh my gosh your dad like he just he he always he always cared about me he always asked about me he always showed up at the race and was cheering for me and so I don't know I think
0: yeah That's awesome. Um, what are you most proud
1: of? What am I most proud of? Um, you know, I, the thing I'm most proud of is there was a time in my life where, um, things were like, they're pretty dark. Um, my husband, died very suddenly, my first husband died very suddenly. And um, I remember having this moment as I was driving away from the hospital um, and I felt like I just wanted to die too, you know, like even if not physically just, I just wanted to close in on myself. I just wanted to be in a, in a dark hole. Like there was like this pull where like, I don't know, I just felt like everything was kind of pulling me into this, like I just wanted to give up, you know? Um, And then this other side of me was like, I knew I had to like fight, you know, like I knew I I had to choose to fight and I had to choose to like figure out a way to like walk through this. And it it was just, it was the weirdest thing. It was like this very black and white moment where I was like sitting there and I was like wrestling with this tug of war inside of me. And, and I, I just, I knew I had to like keep moving forward, like one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, you know, like whatever that next increment was that I could handle. And like, I just look back on that moment in my life, and I feel like it was so pivotal, because I, I, and ironically, my dad was there with me, and um, I just, I knew I I had to find a way to fight, and sometimes fighting means surrendering, you know, not like that I was fighting what was going on, but I was fighting that, just that darkness that I feel like kind of a lot of people have moments in their life where you just kind of feel backed into a corner, and so I'm, I'm proud of myself for like, for, for kind of stepping in that direction or at least trying to. So. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. What is your morning routine? Oh, my morning routine. Pre kids or post kids? Current,
0: <laughs> current morning routine.
1: <laughs> current morning routine. Um, yeah, so um, I still have a six-month-old that doesn't sleep very well. So um, morning comes in, like, various shifts of, like, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Um, but when we actually get out of bed, um, you know, I have my baby who's usually, like, in a good mood. So I can set him down and let him play, which is kind of like a nice luxury right now to not have him in my arms. Um And I take my daughter, I sit her on the couch, and um, just start making us pancakes. I mean, it's pretty simple. When Chris isn't here, it's a little more chaotic than that. But um, yeah, we just, we do pancakes. We, I do coffee. And I usually play with them until kind of the day gets set into motion. I can start getting some work done. But I really like the day starting with like, just simple, like, my growing up my family like we were always like late and rushing and it was chaotic and like there was no time to just like kind of be together so I like to start my days with my family like that like just
0: like you yeah. know that
1: means waking up earlier so that it's yeah it's like, interesting
0: I'm ready. the same I don't like um the idea of like a, a start time that would be like if I had to get Reese to preschool at 8 a.m
1: yeah
0: I would that would make me like not wanting to even do it so, so yeah I- just having that like grace period on the morning Mm -hmm. to then get the day started. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I didn't realize how much I liked it until COVID happened. And like, I couldn't take Skylar to school and, you know, we kind of just had to hunker down as a family. I'm like, this is really nice. Like this, I, I like how this feels. I feel like 20 years from now, I'm going to like really cherish that we had, those moments where we're, you know, initially kind of forced into that situation, but now it feels like really nice.
0: Yeah. It's like a choice of what you can take with you. Like after this, you know, when things get back to regular school and kind of more different routines, but it's like, if this is a routine I want to take with me.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Who's your current hero?
1: Oh, my current hero. Um, I would say my current hero is, um, My sister, I have two sisters, they're both incredible. Um, But my middle sister has many, many health issues. She's had health issues since she was, she's now, let's see, in her mid 40s. She's had health issues since she was a teenager and um, got Lyme's disease. And it's just kind of been this crazy spiral cluster of issues to where she just can't live like normal life. Like she can't even like go for a walk. Um, And she is the sweetest, the kindest, the most compassionate human being I've ever met in my life. And she suffers more than anyone I know on a day-to-day basis. But yet, like, somehow she's figured out how to turn that suffering into being um, so engaged and so connected with other people. Everyone that meets her is like, she's the nicest person I've ever met in life. She's the kindest person I've ever met in my life and she's my hero because um, I just, I can't imagine what she's gone through and how it's, you know, really refined her into being an amazing person when she could just be bitter that, you know, she doesn't have all these things that everyone else has so Mm. she's my hero. And my other sister is incredible too, but I think we both would say that our middle sister is, um, she's a special kind of (laughs) gal. Yeah.
0: What is your guilty pleasure?
1: Um, my guilty pleasure, well, food, it's chips. Um, <laughs> but my uh, guilty pleasure, like, time-wise is I like to be out with Chris. Um, we just like to go out and just be out on trails for, like, a really – long time together and to stop and take breaks for as long as we want and have no um, stress of getting back to the kids and getting back to the babysitter, like time alone together and time out on the trails that's not like calculated is like the biggest indulgence to me right now. Um, You know, five years from now when the kids are in school, it might be something different, but like stress-free time outside is like for sure or like backcountry skiing where it's, it's slow and, uh, and it's not efficient, you know, in terms of like, I have 50 minutes to get my workout in, but like just going out for like four or five hours and being in the mountains so would be a guilty pleasure right now.
0: That sounds incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, current, well, let's do this one. One thing you would tell the younger version of
1: yourself I think, you know, I, I, I think I was so focused and so disciplined that, like, I kind of, I didn't, I thought I had to be that way all the time, and I didn't do it, I wasn't very good at, like, relaxing or, um, you know, kind of, like, turning myself off, Um so yeah, I feel like I, I kind of, I just, I missed out on a lot like, but I don't, I don't necessarily regret that, but I just feel like you can only be like high frequency for so long before um, you just, you know, it's probably like annoying to other people if you're like constantly in that mode, um, you're probably missing out on like, you know, really fostering those relationships. Like I said, we're trying to be intentional about right now. So, yeah, just being too serious, like, just taking everything, like, too seriously and just trying to be too perfect at things, um, I I don't, I don't think life has to be lived that way.
0: Yeah. What's your, if you had one word motto right
1: now, what is it? (laughs) I mean, honestly, (laughs) survival <laughs> because that's a phase that that's a season of life that I'm in right like I'm coming off of three pregnancies and three deliveries in less than three years like I haven't slept through the night and I don't know how many months and so uh yeah I'm kind of in survival mode but like but but I'm trying to I'm figuring out how to still be happy and fulfilled. like when it feels like I'm in survival mode. Like, I I don't know. I feel like I'm getting good at it to be Mm -hmm. like, yeah, like things are crazy, but here we are. So let's make the most of it. So,
0: yeah. Well, thank you for being on this and for your time, knowing that about you and, um, Mm -hmm. and really, truly you are, um, like one of the kindest, I don't know you that well, like in terms of how much time I've spent with you, but you are, exuding kindness always oh, thank you. and yeah with your children with Chris with your hospitality with your time I can only imagine mm-hmm. um like how lucky your athletes are that get to have you as a coach
1: well, and then the, the ones that you
0: fire as a coach like what a <laughs> gift
1: <laughs> I probably fired like four and a half people this all over all these years I talk a big game but, but, but no I'm I, I feel really thankful like coaching is so much like it's so much building these relationships that it's like a really cool gift to be a part of people's life and I'm sure it's similar with your studio and getting getting to know people that, that come in there and um yeah it's, it's it's definitely a gift and I hope that we can resolve the getting to know each other part by having more family vacations I know and, definitely yeah
0: Thanks for listening. Truly, it inspires me so much to keep this podcast going and having powerful conversations when you send me messages and I hear about where you're listening and how excited you are for the next episode to drop. Please take a moment and share your comments wherever it is that you're listening so that more people can be inspired by what we're talking about.
1: Talk to you next week.